Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, worship team. What a great set of uh, music, worship songs to lead us to where we are right now, where we get to learn from God's word together. How I want to start is this. Think back over the years and all of the music you've listened to, the, the CDs you purchased, the cassettes you purchased, the albums you purchased, the A-tracks you purchased, the songs you ask Alexa to play for you. What do almost all those songs have in common? And it's the theme of love. It's about relationships. It makes me think of a song that's called, What If Love? And in this song is the line, the question, what if love is the measure of a life we live? That's a great question, very profound question. And it probably resonates with you. And I think for these couple of reasons, on one level, not one of us here really wants to get to the end of our life and be known only for what we owned or where we had gone or what we had accomplished. I hope when people walk by my casket, uh, it, will, it will occur to them that he had some idea as to how to love people and how to invest into relationships. That's at one level. There's a much deeper, more profound level we don't often think about. It's more of a theological level, and it's this. We as Christians, we believe we are created in God's image. And we believe in what we call a triune God. That's where we get the word Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have existed from eternity past and into eternity future. Three persons, one God. It's a terribly complex doctrine to understand. I gave a message on it some years ago, and it was hard to get through. Just I ha There's so much more we could try to understand about the Trinity, but this is what we know, is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in a perfect relationship, a, a dance of love and deference to each other. And we are created in that triune God's image. And so when you find yourself loving a love song or valuing a relationship, it touches a core deep down inside of you because you are created in the image of a relational God. It even gets better that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit joins your life with this triune relational God. That's why we value relationships. So we've come to a point in our series called Growing Deeper, where we're looking at the roots, six roots, that will be our focus over the next few years. A few weeks ago, we started with family. We are brought into the family of God through faith in Christ. We are a family. How do we be a family? And then we talked about how we want to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus, our third route last week was how do we equip the next generation? Today, what we're talking about is cultivating relationships, our fourth route. A lot of years ago now, I was going to say some years ago. No, it's a lot of years ago now. My wife and I were going through pre-marriage counseling, and the pastor, who was kind enough to walk us through what to expect in marriage, spent almost his entire time with us in one chapter in the Bible. And it's Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. 
And the reason we spent time there is because Paul's theme in that whole chapter is unity. How do you keep unity in a relationship? Not just marriage, but any relationship in your family, at work, in your neighborhood, in our church. How do you do that? I wish we had time to go through the entire fourth chapter. We're only going to look at the first three verses of chapter four, but this is what Paul says. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's all we're going to look at, and I want to unpack that. Before we get into some of the specifics, I want to draw your attention to the word urge. I urge you. Literally, I beg you, I implore you. Why the sense of urgency from Paul? Because he knows the hearts of men and women. (laughs) Just a few years prior, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians. It seemed like they were just constantly on a path of destruction, disunifying rather than unifying, and Paul was addressing the concerns there in that church. And Paul knows the history of Israel and the divided kingdom. He knows the problems that he had with Barnabas at one point. Relationships can become fractured. And so he says, I beg you, I beg you. And he goes on saying, I urge, I urge, I urge you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called to walk. The word for walk is to live, to have a lifestyle in your marriage, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in the church. Live your life as Jesus would live your life if he were you. That's what he says. Now, before we go on and and look at some of the specifics as to how we live that kind of life, how we maintain unity, and how we cultivate our relationships, I want to make a sidebar comment. I came across this quote recently, and it's true and relevant. I cannot control what other people do or how they treat me. I can only control my own behavior and how I treat others. Oh my goodness, I have sat through so many Bible lessons, heard so many teachings on relationships, and invariably, I will find my mind going to the other person in my marriage or in my home or in my neighborhood or at the workplace or in the church thinking, oh, if only they would do this or that, then we would have a better relationship. (laughs) It's so easy to think about the other person, to throw the elbow. But Paul speaks to the singular you, to you and you and you, to each of us. What is our part? Because I cannot control the other person. It's up to me. Which brings me to the person of Jesus himself. Tim Keller said these words. Because the gospel points us to the one, Jesus, who died for his enemies, it creates relationships of service rather than selfishness. I look at the life of Jesus He did not try to control others or to make others followers of him or to love him. He simply loved them. With Jesus, I love this phrase, it was a one-way kind of love, and that's what you and I are called to. We're going to talk more about love in just a little while. 
But let's begin where Paul begins, and that's with the word humility, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. I like what C.S. Lewis writes about humility. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Hmm. So what he's saying, if we really want to understand humility and have that in our lives, we better understand the pride in our lives first. I know for me, it's pretty easy to spot pride and conceit in somebody else. It's terribly hard to spot it in my life. Now, I think the way we spot it in our lives is by inviting someone closest to us and saying, what do you see in my life? What do you hear in my life that would suggest that I am prideful? Now, if you don't want to do that, another more disciplined way to go about it is simply to ask yourself the hard questions. Maybe I find it hard to apologize. Maybe I just want to be heard but not listen to others. Maybe I find it hard to live by the golden rule, do for others what I would want them to do for me. Maybe I just want to be noticed social media it can get worse maybe i know god's word but i really don't care what it says about that part of my life or it can get even worse i don't really need god in my life that's pride i've told this story before but some years ago in our family we we all made christmas gifts for each other and my daughter was about third grade and she asked me dad what's your favorite verse in the bible and i told her and so she found an old piece of Pergo flooring and she painted on it in her third grade writing from James chapter 4, verse 6, which is also found in 1 Peter, which is also found in Proverbs, which is the theme throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride, proud. It's a dangerous thing because it shuts God out of our lives, doing a good work in our lives, doing a good work in our relationships. Pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. But humility, God gives grace to those who are humble. It opens the door for God to do a good work in our lives. It opens the door for him to do a good work in our relationships. It'd be interesting to, to, to sit around in a circle and to find out what your definition of humility is. John Stott, a favorite author and speaker, says, the word Paul uses here for humility means lowliness of mind, the humble recognition of the worth and value of other people. The humble mind which was in Christ led him to empty himself and become a servant. That's one definition of humility. Maybe you'd have a little bit different idea, but over the years as I've thought about humility, what's occurred to me is there are two very profound expressions of humility. One vertical, and that is prayer. When we pray, we're essentially saying, God, you know what I don't, and you can do what I can't. That's humble. But at a horizontal level, it shows up in serving each other. It's following the example of Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for us. That is humility. Someone once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. 
It's thinking of yourself less. And when we do that, we are on the road to a healthy relationship in your marriage, at your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, here at this church. We need to start where Paul starts, with humility. But he goes on, and he says, gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm going to put gentleness and patience together because in the original language, they go hand in hand. One author describes them like this. Gentleness characterizes the person who does not need to assert or dominate. The patient believer does not rush to give up or get even. I think it's interesting that Paul would use these words. In his earlier letter to the Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Why pick those two out, gentleness and patience, except for maybe the fact that in Ephesus, those two were absent. And when those two are absent, you cannot grow a relationship. It deteriorates. When I think of the word gentleness, I think of a, of a proverb. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. Maybe you know it. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's something about gentleness, gentle words that invites people in. I've been on the receiving end, and I've been on the giving end of harshness, of prickliness. It does nothing for a relationship. And then patience. I think of uh, patience is a virtue. <laughs> That's not from the Bible, but we all know it's a virtue. Patience. Wouldn't it be something that in our relationships, we would be slow to give up? Wouldn't it be something in our relationships if we were slow to get even and quick to forgive? Wouldn't that be something I can tell you in my home? My wife needs for me to be gentle and patient. This morning, was the first service was canceled, I stayed at home. We were talking about things that are rather delicate, delicate issues. And I'm thinking through what I have to talk about in the next hour. I need to be gentle and patient here, right? My wife needs that. My kids need for me to be gentle and patient. My friends at the office need for me to be gentle. They need for me to be approachable, gentle, and patient. Slow to give up. Slow to get even. You need for me to be gentle and patient. We need each other in this church to be gentle and patient. Paul goes on. He says this. Bearing with one another in love. Now, see the little phrase one another there. That occurs 59 times in the New Testament. At times it'll say pray for one another. Or, or uh, serve one another or um, forgive one another, or encourage one another, or admonish one another. Or sometimes it'll say, greet one another with a kiss. You don't want to overdo that one. But one-third of the times it uses the phrase one another, it is love one another. This is Peter's way of saying it. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Why would Peter and Paul, especially, 
use the phrase love one another over and over. It's because they know we can get under our, each other's skin. They know we can rub each other the wrong way. So they challenge us to love one another. Now, the word love here in the Greek is, can be used in different ways. There's a, there's a word in Greek for uh, friendship love. There's a word in Greek for romantic love. But here the word love is for the commitment kind of love. It's the kind of love that's talked about in a wedding when two people commit themselves to one another. It's the kind of love that's used when, when, uh, for, for God's love for us. It's the kind of love that says, when things get rough and things get hard, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> when you leave, I'm going to stay right here. That's what kind of love it is. It's the kind of love that says, I'm in this for the long haul. And when you have that kind of love, you can ask yourself hard questions like, do I love more or blame more? Do I love more or argue more? Do I love more or point out weaknesses more? I could go on and on and on, but that's the idea of love. And it's interesting to me that Paul ends this tremendous chapter on unity in the very same way he begins it. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Isn't that something? So bear with one another in love. Now this is how Paul ends the verses that we're looking at. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word unity there, there it is. That's the theme of this chapter. It needs to be the theme of this church as we cultivate relationship here. I want to ask you, what unites us? What unites us? Is it a political party? Is it, is it a person? Is it personal preference? I hope not. We all have those things. That's fine. It's good. We're all different individual. But what should unite us? If somebody out there were to say, at the chapel, what unites us? I'd have to say it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We together, together say that God has done for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. We've been brought into the family, and together in love, we are going to do whatever it takes to cultivate relationships here and grow our love. I like what Kerry Niehoff says. He says, the gospel unites what politics and prejudice often divide. We are members of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, called to live out kingdom values inside these walls and outside, those, outside our walls. So, in conclusion, in 2023, we are going to provide numerous opportunities for us, all of us, to cultivate thriving relationships characterized by unity. And some of those opportunities are like this, connection groups. That's any type, of, that's a Bible study group, it's a stage of life group, it's a stage of need group. Years ago, I learned this. You know, people may come to a church because of the teaching. They may come to the church 
because of the music, but they will stay because of relationship. And we want to provide as many relational opportunities. If you don't feel connected here, it's because we have not done a good job of connecting you, and we want to do that. Through our connection groups, parenting classes, don't we all need that? My kids are older now. Now we have a granddaughter. I want to relearn some of the things that we learned a long time ago. I want you to learn along with me. Men's and women's ministries, uh, more of this coming. Marriage events and conferences, we provide that through the year. Hopefully you can take advantage of that. Mentorship relationships, that simply means discipleship. That means somebody coming alongside you to help you grow in your spiritual walk with Christ. I'm privileged right now to be mentoring some individuals, and I think, wow, I'm just trying to do what somebody did for me years ago. And then lastly, whoops, Emotionally Healthy Spiritual Course. Uh, There's a particular um, teaching we'd love to get into the church to help us know how we can be spiritually healthy as individuals, but also with one another. So all of this brings us back to the original question, what if love is the measure of a life we live together? Together. Let's work hard at cultivating relationships. Certainly our relationship with Jesus, but together, united around the same cause, the gospel, moving forward and making a difference inside these walls and out in our community. Let's pray together. God, thank you now for this opportunity to look at your word, and I pray that you would help us to be the kind of church you have called us to be. Please help, God. We humble ourselves before you and ask for your grace upon each of us and upon this church as a whole. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good to worship with you, and thank you for making your way here through the weather. We're going to dismiss as we do each week uh, from the back, so just stay seated for a moment. Thank you.